1: You know what I want. <laughs> not Samson, Greg. Not Samson. No, I
0: a Hey, that's really bad. That was really bad. That was um, not only because of the outcome, obviously, the Raptors lose this game to the Nets, but as far as, like, the process of how they lost it, what the game looked like, 115 to 103, I don't think accurately depicts how close the game was for most of it, A, but also the fact that the Nets were able to score 115, the the fact that the Raptors cleared 100, uh, basically nothing went right for either team for so much of this game, and and the, the Raptors' approach and the Raptors' failures can easily be summed up by maybe, like, one stat which is that they shot 11 of 25 at the rim I kind of poked fun at Orlando because Orlando was a team that has this really high expected field goal percentage and they based on where they shoot from on the floor and it's because they get to the rim so often like over 40% of their shots come there and the Raptors have a game where they get to the rim a decent amount against the Nets, but the Nets' length, a lot of it is claxton, yes. But as far as like the dig downs, the rotational help, all that kind of stuff, the Nets are able to make things really difficult. And just flat out, when you look at Scotty and Pascal in this game, what Pascal shoots six of 18, Scotty, five of 19. Scotty, a little bit more excuse there because seven of his shots were threes. He was three of seven. Pascal's 0 for four. These guys just they miss a lot of shots, man. That's tough because the defense held out for a long part in this game. They were able to shepherd, let's say, the Nets into more difficult shots, into a lot of pull-up threes. And something I talked about, and Blake is right here. Here's his cat, Brody. But uh, something I talked about when I was on Blake's show today was that you know the Nets are a team that with their great three-point shooting, they can really take advantage of broken plays. And we saw that hemorrhage at the end of the game where There was a lot of broken plays, and the Raptors were struggling to get out and create coverage and try and, I guess, limit those three-point attempts. And it finally broke because there was a long stretch where I think the Nets were shooting less than, like, 25% from three. They end up at 34% on pretty high usage. Royce O'Neal, he takes 12 shots, all 12 are threes. He hits six of them. He helped keep them alive as the Raptors were slowly getting good shots. They ran a ton of offense through Gary late and they created, I think like four or five good looks. And even in the start of the fourth quarter and the end of the third quarter, the ball ends up in Royce O'Neal's hands. And it's like that little pump, little pound dribble, put the ball up scoring. It's, it's tough, man. My Cal bridges, he didn't shoot a lot of threes. He was mostly held to the the mid range and a couple like gathers into space and then layups in the pick and roll. But he hits that late 3 fading to the corner. It's uh it's a tough game, man. Cam Johnson had a really like some really nice plays from a creation standpoint and like 18 from Cam, 22 from Bridges, 10 and 5 to go with, you know, his his 22. Spencer Dinwiddie 23 8 and 9 with four steals. Uh not that that many of them were a consequence of like really great defensive playmaking. Sometimes the ball just ends up in your hands, but the Raptors like scotty finishes at 17 and you know he he has less points than shot attempts pascal less points than shot attempts og less points than shot attempts like dennis less points than shot attempts gary barely clears the amount of uh, points over shot attempts like precious less points than shot attempts obviously he didn't make a single one flynn same amount of points as shot attempts jalen mcdaniel's one more point than shot attempts like Chris Boucher was the only guy who scored efficiently tonight, which is kind of insane. Your defense has to be on such a level to try and keep up if your offense is so destitute. And in this game, I think that the the Nets did a really great job of funneling the ball to the places where they wanted it to go, putting the Raptors in a position where they the Raptors really hated how their shot chart was looking because they were just collapsing Forcing the ball and then giving these hard closeouts to guys like OG or a hard closeout to Dennis Schroeder and packing the paint, right? And you can close out hard one at a time and still have like a really good paint uh, defense. You can still resist that kind of stuff and you can change the shot charts. That's why Pascal is shooting a bunch of threes early. That's why Scotty's shooting a bunch of threes early. And we uh, see a team in Brooklyn that that's what they want. They don't want Pascal and Scotty to get to the rim with steps with a dribble, they want to collapse on those guys, keep them buffered out in the mid range and make them move the ball on. And the Raptors like OG, it took a long time for his usage to go up in this game. Same with Dennis, same with Gary Trent. So they were able to effectively make sure that the Raptors best drivers shot jumpers and especially like in the middle parts of the shot clock make sure that the raptors role players were putting the ball down and trying to make progressive reads and the raptors were able to sustain this level of basketball when they weren't giving up a ton of threes and when they were playing good defense and basically there's two runs in this game the 15-0 run 10 the second quarter which was a travesty some of it is Good pull-up shooting by the Nets. Some of it is really bad transition defense. And the end of the game where the Nets really pull away is, yes, three-point shot making, but also the Raptors being completely bereft of like defensive responsibility in the half court and also uh, in transition. And so they give up these big runs that completely... The one lets the Nets back into the game and the one takes the Raptors out of it. It's a real shame. Uh, Positives? I don't know. Chris Boucher, he hit some threes in this game. I think that his energy was like necessary. It was important. And he's been impressive in more games this season than games. He's been bad, but anything else, I think Scotty and Pascal both really struggled to initiate offense. I think that the Raptors were put in a really tough spot as far as scheme. Blake and I talked about this earlier today on his show, what the Raptors can do to make sure that the nets aren't as successful in pick and roll. The Raptors met those conditions. Uh, Jakob, I thought played the middle really well on a lot of possessions i thought when they were playing you know boucher and scotty as the front court i thought that they covered a lot of ground and protected the paint quite well and were able to funnel the ball out to the nets who had these long stretches of not shooting the ball very well from three and that just wasn't enough because eventually the dam broke and the shot making did come around for the nets and in a big way some of that is they were just allowed easy easy shots because the raptors at the end of this game there was very little contests made they were giving up easy easy looks and like that's tough obviously um once it left the dimensions of clutch like they were no longer within five points and those kind of it just everything went to crap i should say but as far as like what they did most of the game the defensive process was good i was happy about it and nothing went right offensively i mean what, what else can you say about this one this is tough especially after talking about last game where the Cavs, you watch a game where the Raptors, they play like pretty good defense. You have to feel really good at about it. They have a tough time scoring and they probably don't go to the mid range with Pascal and Scotty to make sure that their stars get more volume. And I think in this game as well, like the Raptors, they passed up a few opportunities to be able to like live in the mid range and try and stave off some of these runs. We saw late in the game, how did Gary become not only a scoring like a scorer late in the game in clutch time, but a playmaker as well, where he was able to hit Scotty on that empty side pick and roll is because he did threaten as a mid-range playmaker. He did threaten as a mid-range scorer. And the Raptors, they're living in like, well, we have threes and we have these push shots in the short, short mid-range, let's say, or these layups that are falling off the rim. And there's some good process in going and trying to like beat the dragons of rim protection at the rim. But there's also you can settle into something and just be like an nba player who can hit a 12 foot shot. This is part of the game, you know. And I I don't think that they uh I don't think that they did a really great job of finding counters offensively. Some of that stuff is that a lot of their pet sets didn't work. Uh, the Nets switched a ton of stuff across the point of attack. The Nets also one of the teams that, you know, like let's let's say they their starting line- lineup, Cam Johnson is pretty big. That's a big wing. Dorian Finney-Smith a big wing, Michael Bridges, a big wing, Nick Claxton, a big who can switch onto wings, and Spencer Dinwiddie, a big guard. You know, you have you have uh, Sharp coming in, O'Neal coming in, Trendon Watford coming in, Lonnie Walker coming in. Lonnie Walker, I think, is the smallest guy there, and he's still like he's kind of like a, a power punch at 6'4". These guys switched a bunch of stuff, and then the Raptors aren't able on those like back screens. On their like slips, their slice screens in the middle of the court, they can't get any of the high low stuff to work unless it's on a broken play. And Scotty's doing a great job playmaking, like that one, you know, the no look pass downhill to Boucher. Great play, but the Raptors didn't get any of their high low stuff really to work in this game. And that's a consequence of the Brooklyn Nets personnel being able to switch uh, at the point of attack in pick and roll. A lot of those actions, when they tried to run with Pascal or Scotty, they couldn't generate a look that they really wanted to. And then you know, obviously like Schroeder, can he get downhill sometimes, but also they're pinching in off the wings. And in some cases they're pinching in off of a guy like Pascal that, that Pascal isn't going to hurt them as a shooter. If he's getting the ball on a closeout, right. And he, the defense is going to give him a soft closeout too. And if Dennis is trying to turn the corner against a really uh, aggressive dig from a good defender, and there's also like Nick Claxton at the rim, these are problems, big problems. And then on top of that as well, you have like Pascal, they they reversed that call where Claxton, uh, it was close to being a goaltend. They determined it wasn't. They used the Hawkeye technology, which was kind of cool. And you have Scotty, who probably had that goaltend that Claxton, like Scotty was throwing a fastball downhill into the bottom of the bucket. Claxton got in front of it. Claxton changed a bunch of shots. They, you just have to credit the Nets with playing like they had a really good game plan for how they wanted to stop the Raptors. The Raptors, I think underperformed their shot chart by a great deal they could replay this game and a lot of the shots they take might end up dropping but it's when you get into those tough situations against good help side defenses it's when you look and say you know if there's that late contest coming that makes me put like a little bit more arc on the shot you know gary's missed photo for example or like Pascal and Scotty on a couple of those where they tried to go glass and they have to put a little bit extra arc so then it catches the backside of the rim and rolls off. It's like, this stuff is really difficult. This is what people do when they're in close proximity, when they don't have to respect spacing and they can kind of gang up as help side defenders. It's tough, man. Uh, The Raptors and they don't have, the the pull-up shooting they do have exists in the mid-range. There's no, you know, three-point pull-up threat on this team. Uh, Scotty has been maybe the closest thing to it and he's done it more so in the flow rather than like taking, you know, this aggressive point of attack defense and at the level screen navigation defense and hitting a three point shot over it. Like Schroeder is not going to do that. Pascal's definitely not doing that. OG isn't going to do that. Gary, maybe. I think we were talking the other day. Gary's three for three on pull up threes against, you know, Blitz out of out of of the pick and roll. Like good for Gary, but that's three on the season. I'm I'm glad to see that he's shoot that he's shooting 100 percent but the volume is low. The Raptors just don't have that much of a counter. And this herein lies the big problem. The Raptors counter in this game would have been mid range shot making. They were, I think, a little hesitant to go that way. And that's tough. Um, what, what else are you supposed to do in a game like this? Pet the cat. This is Brody. He's a fantastical guy. I've, I've cat-sit for him before. And when I was living on Blake's couch, not, well, this couch actually, when I moved to Toronto, I got here at like 4 a.m. Fun story time for people. There were two guys on my uh, flight way back when in more, I guess, aggressive COVID times who wouldn't wear their masks. So we had to land in Winnipeg and then uh yeah yeah so they had to land in winnipeg so i was supposed to get here at like maybe 12 and blake had an early show and i was like i'm actually going to be there at like 3 30 or 4 because they had to land the plane and then i got in here and i fell asleep on this couch with all my stuff over there and brody this little cat sat and watched me for the first however long i have a picture of him actually from my first night here Uh, and then eventually i ended up moving to rexdale um, is the mic huge or is Samson tiny? It's a big mic. Many people often mock the mic, but um, if if I'm tiny, that's that's okay too. Anyway, back to basketball. Um, Malkai had a nice run. That was nice. He had that one like really good. It's like maybe a broken play. It's maybe somewhat pseudo transition and he gets like that little rocker step, takes it baseline, finishes. He hit that three. That was really nice. But honestly, like I'm trying to think back through all the plays I saw in this game. Gary takes it baseline, gives Mike bridges the the forearm shiver. Um, it, Mike michael was grabbing his crotch. I think Blake was telling me i didn't I didn't actually catch that. so maybe the forearm shiver was uh, a little bit more dangerous than usual, but he hits the shot. Um, I talked about like the the great empty side pick and roll that he ran with Scotty that ended up Scotty scoring late. Um, Pascal had a couple good looks that my God fell off the rim Uh, kind of in a reminiscent way to let's say if you want to go recent history the start of this season Pascal had just a bunch of stuff fall off the rim and he's had a couple stretches throughout his career that typically don't last more than like five games but there will be such odd like finishing woes that will accompany his game for just like these little stretches at a time Um, yeah. Playamie McGee says McDaniels positive minutes. I do think McDaniels had a positive stretch in this game. Obviously, he hit a three back rim and down. That was good. And uh, he also had that nice little cut as well. Um, he was present on a lot of plays as a cutter. He was present on a lot of plays. Um, he played more so in the bottom of the defense in this game, which was nice um, because of the switching. You know, you sw- you're guarding the point of attack. You switch the guy filters downhill. Now you're in a help defensive position. He had some nice plays there. I don't know if he was credited with the steal. Yeah, he was credited with two steals and one block. So um, good to see the defensive playmaking showing up. It's good. That's good from Jalen because I can't remember who I talked about this with, but I got asked about it, and you know, oh, it was Makai, and we were talking about like, is Jalen going to get another shot? Yeah, totally. Um, this is part of that shot. Like Otto Porter Jr. doesn't play tonight. McDaniel's gets that look. He has good minutes. He finds a way to contribute on both sides of the floor. Hope to see more of this coming. Unfortunately, when you're talking about a game where, what, 10 guys play, right? You have 10 guys, or actually 11, right? Maybe one, two, three, four. No, no. Okay, 10 guys play, right? Here's the thing. Two guys play well, and neither of them are the starters, this is a tough pill to swallow, and that's a very tough uh, situation to win a game. Somebody asked if we if we can get a feckless drop for this game. Certainly, the Raptors played feckless basketball, feckless offense. Uh, it, it was tough, man. I, I, I'm going to be able to—it's uh, tough to dress this game up because this kind of happens when the game doesn't go that well. You see a lot of the same warts of the basketball team showing up over and over again. Do you just try and like talk about what happened in this game? Do you try and contextualize them in the frame, like frame them in the season? It's tough because, you know, you want to talk about the game that happened, but it was, it wasn't that interesting. It was a sloppy game from both sides. The shot making was subpar. We already talked about the schematic changes that were made. We talked about the coverages that were played. And I thought that the Raptors did a good job defensively. I thought that the Nets did a good job defensively and the Nets a team that shoots better from three, a team that has a better offense—it's not at all a surprise that they were able to win the game when it came down to shot making. That's that's what it is. That like that's tough. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how to. I don't know how else to like square it. Uh, Dennis, nice to see that effort. He got that knee to knee contact. He came back. He seems healthy. Uh, is he on the show tomorrow? Wait, on Friday. Dennis? don't know.
1: I'm not on the show. practice, So I
0: don't know. Okay. So, well, maybe maybe Willu will ask him about his knee and how it's doing at that point in time. But goodness me, man, this was a tough game to watch. I'm going to be honest. Like, Scotty, a really fun play was when he, he didn't have a great offensive process on the play before, but he steals that inbounds pass, takes it up the floor, reverse dunk while getting fouled. It's nice to see in pockets of time that he can still, like, physically overwhelm the other team uh here's a good one from play mcgee i actually can i ask you about this it's regarding grady and 905 grady's shooting in 905 concerning or not
1: um not i mean obviously it's not preferable that it's that good and, and the shot the shooting line is the shooting line it looked i watched the game saturday on tv and i was at the game yesterday looked as bad as the the stat line suggests and you know other than a couple minutes late in yesterday's game wasn't doing enough of the other stuff uh that impressed you Samson a lot early in the season um I think big picture though there's a large sample of him being a really good high school shooter a really good college shooter having all the indicators that draft and scale people look for in will this shooting translate can he get open does he shoot enough above the break does he have the size to get it off all of those things are still there Um, this talk about mechanical tweaks he kind of downplayed it to me it's more about you know making sure his base is wide and strong and there's legs in the shot which sometimes he can get away from when he's stationary catch and shoot Um, but his mechanics are still really really strong off movement and stuff so I don't think there's I think it's too early to be concerned the larger sample about his shot is still much larger and the confidence is still there. As he told me, I'll take the next 10 shots. I don't care. Um, that's an important thing. The other thing, too, is like, and 905 head coach Eric Curry said this to me, is like, go back and watch all his shots. Every single one of them you think is going in off the hands. Like they're, These aren't bad misses, which I realize can seem like I'm lowering the bar too much. But that's the kind of thing you look for when you're trying to judge. Is the shot still close? So I would imagine Friday morning, if he's in that 905 game, there are going to be 10,000 little kids screaming. So maybe it's not the best environment, but some shots are going to start to drop here. Okay. If he can, if he can take the
0: 10,000 kids screaming, he'll be in the next play in game for the free throw shooting, which is another thing we can talk about another game where the Raptors, they shot 63% from the line. And so here's the thing, right? Like, man, if you're going to have guys like Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam be your leaders in getting to the free throw line, of course you're going to on average have a lower free throw percentage than a lot of other teams who typically get to the line with like elite shooting guards. That's just the fact the Raptors by proxy of that is going to be lower. The interesting part is that Gary hasn't shot well from the line, both Pascal and Scotty who Pascal shot 71% tonight. And Scotty shot 80%. These guys are both underperforming, I think, their career marks this season. And Dennis goes two for three. Precious goes one for four. You're just like, it almost seems like this team is snake bitten. And uh, Stevie says when Alex Wong is a better free throw shooter than your whole team, <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, we talked to Alex about that today. It was pretty fun. MVP, good for him. Uh, but like, here's the thing, right? And I know everybody says the response is always, you know, on Twitter or anything. Free throws seem like something like you saw it in every, you know, basketball movie you watched growing up. There was like the coach who was like, you don't leave here. You pay an exit toll of like 50 free throws. I'm thinking of Coach Carter at this point, or maybe it was 100. And you would think like an NBA coach could just say that. And that would translate to making free throws on the court. But it, it just can't. You know, these guys make a lot of shots even, even on a day where they're doing nothing and it's the most listless, whatever basketball, an NBA player will go into a gym and he'll make like 200 shots and he'll, and he'll hit free throws and it'll be whatever. And you might say like, how do we work on these? How do we make this something that we do? But there's so much mentality that goes into it. I'm not trying to do like the, you know, I know it says Raptors therapist on the screen, but I'm not actually trying to do like the couch psychology. It's just that it's a lot of pressure to sit there and do this isolated action as everybody's like sitting there. And I have to imagine that it's just like it's partly, you know, there's not a host of really good We're back. Uh, yes. Thanks. Uh, wait, let me. Sorry, everybody for the inconvenience. Um, let me check the is everything connected properly. You're back. OK, hell yeah. OK, so I'm back. Uh, sorry, the computer randomly shut down. Um, Yeah, Lewis says the team heard me talking free throws and said, pull the plug. It's a tough one. It's a tough thing, right? Um, C4C says, well, that's why they get paid the big bucks, right? Certainly, um, NBA players get critiqued all the time. NBA players have to do a lot of stuff. And NBA players have to do like they earn their contracts, right? But the fact that they get paid the big bucks, and here's the thing, these guys practice their free throws, they can do all the prep necessary. And you could still go there and miss them. That's like, that's the thing, man. It's unless they need like corrective eye surgery, like Rudy Gay or if there's ever been a player who's been had like a quick fix, I don't know. But the problem I think mostly is that OG, despite being a really good three point shooter has never been a super strong free throw shooter. I think Dennis has never, I think he's always been like around 75%. Pascal is probably around 76 or 77 and a couple and that's carried by a couple years shooting like 78 to 82%. Scotty is never that strong. Like Gary's strong, but he has a low free throw rate. Precious is not saving the percentage. It's just like they don't have any superstar free throw shooter. They don't have that guy who's going to get to the line and, and shoot the ball well. Like Pascal has been so up or down from the free throw line. He's gotten to the line a healthy amount. But five for seven, they didn't lose the game because of that tonight. Uh, They didn't lose the game because of 12 for 19 from the free throw line. But I can understand why people are focusing on it because this is a continued trend. I'm sure they're like they have to be, if not the bottom of the league, very close to it. Um, And I don't know, like in the 2010s and upwards, when shooting has become so important, what the, I don't know, the baseline is of like the worst free throw shooting team. I bet the Raptors are close, man. In the Uh, NBA? In the NBA. They came in the twenty eight. But do you know what the like all time or maybe in like the past 15 years, what the worst free throw shooting team is? Okay, we've we've got our guy. Blake is on the I'm using him as Google. This is quite reminiscent of many interactions you've had where they're like, hey, Blake, can you pull something up for me? Anyway, it was a tough game, man. Uh, Nesta says the poor closing of both halves lost tonight's game. Brother, you are bang on. I talked about this kind of at the outset, but the Raptors. And also the fact that the raptors didn't have the great third quarter that they usually have maybe like that's that's something that the raptors have typically been able to count on i know they won it by seven like 31 24 but in a game like this you might have expected them to i it's tough man uh 28 to 39 they lose the fourth quarter 30 to 23 they lose the second quarter with that 15-0 run uh lewis actually he got there before he says 11 12 magic in modern history 66. shot 66%. Okay, so the Raptors
1: are all, uh, There have been 14 teams shoot below 14 teams shoot below 70% since 2010. Okay. So basically so it happens about once a year. Yeah, one team a year
0: and we're hoping that the Raptors aren't that team, but yeah. Uh, it's it's tough, man. Uh, Simon says didn't FEV also have an amazing free throw streak? Yeah, Fred is a, a good free throw shooter, certainly um Devin Patterson says expect and Raptors should not be in the same sentence lol you guys that's totally right the Raptors they've come out completely flat in a very healthy amount of games this year they've been very tough to rely on uh I'm not a better but I can't imagine this is an easy team to bet on like there there are Raptors teams in the past where I'm I'm sure like nations across the world have been able to launder their money for years, like a decade, just betting that Kyle Lowry will lead a team to win. It's to beat. It's over or under expected from Vegas at the start of the year. But they this team is really hard to peg. We talked about it a little bit on the show today, but. This is a team that's been really close to a lot of our predictions, like bottom five and half court offense, really good transition offense, which was bad tonight, good defense overall. This is a team that's hitting a lot of the hallmarks that were expected of them, but it's so up and down, it's so volatile game to game that you're like, I mean, what what is it supposed to look like? And I know performances in the NBA are more volatile than most people think. It just kind of gets caught in the malaise of the 82 game season, and we the same way that like you know Jordan Romano was a better closer than a lot of people thought, at least in the Jays fandom is because you see every game that Jordan Romano blows. Whereas other teams, if Jordan Romano comes in, they're probably like, oh, it's finished. He's one of the best closers in baseball. We see every single extremely you know, volatile game from the fan point of view for the Raptors or the analyst point of view for the Raptors or whoever's watching. Other teams are volatile to some degree. I don't know if they're this volatile. The Raptors have been an insanely weird watch so far this season. Uh, Devin Patterson asks, can I explain the reasoning of bringing in Precious over Boucher in the second half? I suspect it was because they wanted to switch more actions. Uh, and and because Precious is higher on the totem pole of, oh my God, Kyrie just made an insane layup. Um, I suspect it's because Precious is higher on the totem pole because (laughs) he's had really impressive stretches and so has Boucher, but, uh, I would say that Precious's defense has been so good in some stretches and so absolutely pivotal to the type of scheme the Raptors want to play for those stretches that they wanted to try and lean into that. And that's, you can almost explain every single Precious stretch with that. And every, if Boucher plays over people, you know, the rationale is going to be you want to insert energy immediately into the game with the upside of shot making. You want a guy who, while he may not be the most sound positionally on defense has the energy and the length to not only help close out possessions on the glass, but to help uh, defensive play make. in this game tonight, uh, you didn't get as much of the defense, but you got a ton of that positive stuff on offense. Obviously Boucher finishing with 13 points and precious finishing with one, even though he had four <laughs> free throw attempts and four shots, it was a tough game for precious. And still at the end of it all, Boucher played more minutes than, uh, Precious. Um, From Samuel Barefoot, the up and down feeling of the team reminds me of last year. Would you rather the Raps be plus, uh, plus minus around 500 for the season and make no moves or bottom out then play the young guys exclusively, etc.? I think that if the Raptors are like three or four games below 500 at the trade deadline, I think that they're looking aggressively. And for the second or third year in a row, I think that the Raptors will be like a heavily, heavily talked about team, heavily, heavily reported on team around the deadline. I think that's something, even if they are at 500, if they're anywhere close to it, uh, to a team that has three unrestricted free agents, um, two of which are going to make more than $30 million a year. I I couldn't see OG getting less. I couldn't see Pascal getting less. It's uh, tough to imagine a team like that being really willing to just stay still, be static at the deadline and not entertain stuff. Uh, The Raptors would have to outperform a lot of what they've been doing so far to put themselves in a position where I think they look to add or whether they, you know, say nobody's on the table. I know there's talks about Zach Levine and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure the front office would be happy to add uh, as far as like if you can just have a home run win and bring a bunch of talent in, maybe maybe they do it i don't know but i think that the raptors probably this is a team that is doing stuff at the deadline uh james says wait till the deadline omg most teams do uh you know and at this least until
1: january 15th.
0: at least until january 15th most teams do and also to that point like i answered the question we're talking about the trade deadline just for a quick little bit but we got a lot more games in between here and then brother Woo! we got to talk about the basketball here and there uh, and the basketball wasn't pretty tonight. There are some games where I come on here and it's easy to just talk about like a single game for an hour. What happened? What went well? This game? Not so much. Uh, the diversity of what worked was very thin, uh, maybe like hom- homogeny rather uh, nothing. The blueprint for each team was rather similar. They both tried to follow it over the course of the game and they both had a solve for what was happening. And for the Raptors, that solve stopped working um, for two big stretches. The one at the end of the second quarter, the 15-0 run, some of that is shot making, some of it isn't. And then obviously the one to finish the game. Uh, It's tough, man. The Raptors, I liked that we got more minutes with OG and Scotty plus bench. Uh, We got, OG and Pascal plus bench, which went, or sorry, Pascal and Scotty plus bench, which went terribly. Uh, The Raptors, there's some rotational stuff I think that they need to figure out. There's some stuff that Darko can clean up, but also you want to know what works over the course of the season. So there are things he can clean up immediately, but I'm sure there's a lineup that right now is a negative that will turn positive over the course of the season. Uh, Everybody cross their fingers that that's the starters. I'm not sure it will be, but that's maybe something you really hope turns around. And on top of that, we're also looking at like a lot of lineups that might get a little bit better as Scotty figures out like the the quirks and rhythms uh, to try and like guide those guys to better minutes. Because you know Luca, for example, was minus three point three in his third year leading Luca plus bench, and there was like almost six hundred minutes of that lineup, and that's awesome. If you're only a minus three point three, that's really good scotty is like a huge negative with that lineup and it's not scotty's fault it's not that scotty is the huge negative it's just a tough lineup to carry we
1: didn't see it at all
0: no no we didn't see that and because dennis came in and then we got dennis plus scotty that went well for that stretch and as far as you know trying to get this stuff to work it's really tough but the coach is going to be going not on a game to game basis. There's going to be a couple of directives from the front office on things they want to see things they want to try. There's going to be an overarching, like here's some stuff we want to happen during the season. And some of that is going to guide lineups. And that might mean that some lineups get a shorter leash. That might be that some lineups get a longer leash, but we're still in the data collection aspect. Um, After the 20th game or 25th game, I'm not sure which the the analytics people really love to check in after do you know which like is the 20th game or 25th game
1: 20 is where we see team level stats start to stabilize
0: okay so after the 20th game we see team level stats start to stabilize if anybody didn't hear you might have i'm just repeating blake but it's it's interesting because we'll have a lot of stuff to look at it's probably not going to change a bunch from this game to that game but we can start making a couple more definitive i guess um Or some of the perceptions that people have been wondering if they're stabilizing, wondering if they're meaningful going forward and wondering if they're going to be swung by just a game sample of data. Um, Maybe some of that stuff starts to crystallize or calcify or whatever you want to call it, stabilize, any type of uh, synonym for that. Um, it's, It's tough, man. This team struggles at basically everything I thought they would struggle at coming into the season. This team succeeds at basically everything I thought they would succeed at coming into the season. The big swing is that for a game like tonight, Scotty goes, what, 2 of 12 inside the arc, and that's obviously not good, but he goes 3 of 7 from downtown. He's probably sitting around 38% on the season right now. Uh, For the people who are worried about Scotty's usage and all that kind of stuff, he got 19 of them up tonight. You know? Hell yeah. For the people who are wanting to see him keep you know, plugging, probing forward, uh, maybe that's good. But Scotty is the the differentiator as far as, like, my analysis. He's been much better than expected. But otherwise, this team is doing a lot of the things that I thought they would. And, in fact, a lot of the offensive sets that they run are also – like, a lot of these are very similar to what was run under Nurse. There's some There's some small differences sometimes – You know, and and the personnel being used in these actions can be different, of course. The the big difference, the pet action that the Raptors run, they don't run weave as their base. They'll run, like, for example, Pascal or Scotty, if they want to run a wing pick and roll, they're going to come off of a cross screen first. And then they're going to initiate, and then that cross screen turns into a flare for one of Dennis or Gary, and then it becomes a pick and roll. And like, that's how they space on the floor. That's how they do stuff. That's a big change from what they were doing with Nick nurse, obviously. But for the people who are thinking like, what's still a pick and roll? It's like, yeah, you can, you, you can do a lot of stuff on offense. You can try and reshape the offense a lot of different ways and you can tweak and do stuff differently. But this is the same personnel for the most part. Scotty's jump is great for Scotty it's great for the team but it doesn't radically change what the Raptors are good at. Dennis doesn't radically change what the Raptors are good at and I've still been impressed with Dennis and his season so far but he doesn't radically change anything. Pascal I think has been tremendous out of the post I think he's had a positive defensive year so far but he's also shooting like 21 or 20 percent from three. So that's all that's all tough. Um, C4C says do I miss nurse? I don't. Um, I think that Darko is doing well given like Darko is going to make mistakes rotationally. He's a rookie coach. He's going to not hit on everything, but he inherited a team that was bottom five in the half court for two years in a row. A team that hasn't shot the ball well for a long time. A team that has had spurts of really good defense But has actually been quite inconsistent on that side they haven't had like they haven't ever been able to tie three months of good defense together that's an indictment of the personnel and yes a coach can help guide that personnel and make the right calls and run the right rotations and install the right system but also the Raptors' system hasn't been at its best when they've been running like motion continuous screening like a lot of the euro concept and stuff like that because they don't have the shooting to reward a lot of those actions and to engender the defense or elicit a response from the defense to move with them and create gaps for cutters and stuff like that. So it's tough. I I don't feel any bad things about Darko. I think Darko's done well. Why? Because he clearly has a good rapport with the players. This Raptors team, I know there were big expectations by some people but my expectations were not, you know, world beaters. My expectations was not 45 wins and up or anything like that. The Raptors have succeeded at some stuff that people want them to succeed at. They've struggled at other things. Coaches are important, but teams are personnel. Like you have, you have players who motivate what happens with the basketball on both sides of the floor. Uh, It's, it's really tough, man. The Raptors don't shoot it well. They would need massive jumps from a bunch of different players to be able to take advantage of that space and to eventually change it so that they get more spacing and more gravity, and they don't. And this is just another game at the end of November. It doesn't determine their ceiling or their floor. They played a bad one, and it sucks that they had this game back-to-back with the Cavs game, of course. Two gettable games. Uh, my friend Svandiar Baraheni said that they were going to win four in a row, and they're currently 0-2 in that streak, or 0-3, I can't remember. So just a heads up for that. But it's tough, man. It's a long season. The Raptors have things to clean up. They need a couple shooting streaks that are really poor and not working out well to kind of turn around. And they also need to be able to run a few more of their successful actions, but they have to be able to elicit a defensive response that helps them work through that. The Suns game. It's going to be tough. I reckon uh, it's the Suns are here already. The Raptors have to travel to get back here. Uh, Lewis will be at that game, not me. And I guess we'll see what happens. But it's uh, the Suns are good. You know, they, they've they got a lot of offensive talent. And they can also, if the Raptors get into if they like, for example, tonight, like Pirtle plays 25 minutes, if the Raptors want to get into a more switchable scheme, if they want to play. The Suns are the type of team that not only can beat the Raptors in their base package defensively, but if the Raptors try and flatten everything out by switching, they have the shot making to beat that as well. Uh, I think that we can expect the Raptors to have an okay game offensively. I'm really interested to see how the Raptors approach how they try to attack the Suns tomorrow. Uh the Suns have a lot of, you know, I think they don't have Claxton, but they have a lot of length on the wings and they can run some of the quirky stuff defensively that the Nets do. Um As far as like the quirks player to player, their package is fairly conservative, but yeah, it's it's tough, man. Uh, I'm excited for that game because I love watching. uh, uh, I really love watching Kevin Durant play. I really love watching. He's questionable. Devin Booker. Booker's in. Booker is in. I love watching Devin Booker too. Allen
1: is also questionable,
0: and he's of some consequence. He's he does pretty well. Grayson Allen. So we'll see what happens. Um. Somebody says Isaac says my therapist has that same sweater. This is a a sweater for therapists. Hell yeah! Kind of fun fact. Uh, my whole family works in like uh, either like counselor, therapist, psychology. Not me. I I talk about basketball like a schmuck. Um. If anybody has any like final questions, uh, maybe one for Blake. I'll rope him into one. Uh, if anybody wants anything, and then I'm gonna get out of here, and then maybe watch some basketball and then go home. Um. But yeah. Okay, here's one. Always always about trades. Uh, I'm going to get a, a whiteboard so that I can drop some some stuff uh, as far as, like, uh, if anybody wants to ask questions about schematics. Uh, not not for this game. Lewis asks, are you coming to his holiday party? Yeah. He says, yeah. I bet he doesn't show up. I bet he doesn't
1: September show up. right? Yeah. <laughs> so I have a concert that night, but
0: I'm going to try to double dip. Oh, okay. That's impressive. I wouldn't double dip. I wouldn't have the stamina. Um, Joe Tully asks, why do we not just give the point guard position to Scotty? So Scotty runs some possessions as a point guard. Um, if you want to see like a video essay that has a breakdown of all the coverages that are played against him and, uh, I guess his responses to that, uh, you can go to Raptors Republic, the YouTube channel that you're on currently. And I have a, like a six or eight minute video somewhere in between there. Uh, those are point guard possessions, let's say. If if the question here is like, uh, why do the Raptors start Dennis? I was somebody before the season who thought that Dennis was going to be the point guard off of the bench. I thought that the Raptors were going to put the ball in Scotty's hands more as an initiator, and whether it went good or bad would live with the results. I still, and of course you, there are other people on on the team who deserve possessions and of course can run offense and stuff like that but I do think it behooves the Raptors to put the ball in Scotty's hands a little bit more often. And I do think that I'd, I'd like to see more creative types of initiation for Scotty, even though I'm sure Lewis will write a piece about Scotty's second side attacking at some point. It's been quite good. I, I would like to see Scotty get more opportunities to run some of this conservative point guard stuff. I But I think Shooter, despite not having his best game tonight, I think Shooter has been better than expected. It's just that the Raptors aren't such a fantastic offensive team. Like these are the breaks, man. They don't shoot the ball very well. And uh, I, I would like to see Dennis help lead some of these bench units. I would like to see Scotty with more of the ball with starters and, you know, playing with like a guy like Gary, I think as far as like high usage handoff partnerships last season, Gary and Scotty were the sixth most efficient of the high usage uh, partnerships. And so that's a cool little thing. Maybe Scotty can lean into maybe if he's not the point guard on every possession, if Dennis is on the bench, he's also a hub, but they don't go to that stuff that often, even when they have Gary and Scotty playing together and maybe like the Scotty plus bench unit. So it's, I don't know. C4C says Dennis is the new FVV. There's... This was something I made jokes about leading up to the season was that Dennis is not radically different from Fred as far as like usage. And a lot of people told me I was tweaking obviously coming into the season and I get it. Uh, He had just won like FIBA MVP. And, and I, by the way, I've liked Dennis's, you know, his his season so far. I think he's playing quite well, Um, but he has limitations. He's a 30 year old player who has like 10 years of tape on him. We've, we've seen what Dennis is good and bad at. We've seen what type of advantages he struggles to create. So I don't find myself particularly surprised that a lot of people are saying, or a lot of people who had problems with Fred are also having problems with Dennis. Now, I think the critiques are typically swing into way too harsh um, towards Fred and towards Dennis. But I think you could fix some of that by emboldening Scotty in a starting lineup that features Gary instead of Dennis. Does that result in better team play overall? Uh, I'm not sure. But if it results in even the same amount of team play and you're getting Scotty more possessions that he might use in the future as the the big star of this team, then I guess it's, uh, of course, it's uh, man, it's, uh, it's great. Uh, we have a question for Blake from Nesta. This one is a, a CBA question. Do you know how many teams have a mid-level exception signing starting this season?
1: I'm not sure I understand.
0: Does because there's like the taxpayer mid level. Do you know the difference between taxpayer, like how many teams have taxpayer versus not?
1: I don't know offhand, no. So yeah, there's a taxpayer mid level, there's the full non taxpayer mid level, and then there's the room exception if you're a cap space team. And this question might also be referring to that in the new CBA you can save your mid level and biannual exception to use as a trade acquisition. Um, I don't have those numbers offhand. I think most teams use theirs on signings, so
0: it's easy. These- no, no, that's good. It's easier to sign a guy outright than it is to wait for a theoretically. Yeah, wait for him later. right. Exactly. Um. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's good. But yeah, there's. I'm sure I'll talk about this with Trey. We might dive a little bit deeper into some of the numbers and some of the play style aspects we might see from changing and putting Dennis on the bench. But I'll say it right now. I think Darko loves Dennis in the starting lineup, and I think Darko quite likes Dennis's role on the Raptors, and I think he's looking to improve improve the team through play style, not through skill set swapping in the starting lineup. And I know uh, from a coach's point of view, this is kind of what a lot of coaches think about. Coaches think about what's working, not really what's not working. So Darko probably is looking at like, here's what Dennis is bringing. How do we accentuate what Dennis is bringing and also accentuate what Yak, Pascal, Scotty and OG are bringing like they're trying to be problem solvers with what they have rather than you know jumbling the starting lineup which i think is like something that a lot of people identify with and seems like a quick easy fix at least it's a change to see how it might be different and uh, i would be surprised if the raptors made that change in the short term over the course of the season who knows uh it certainly could happen but in the short term if like if we get that tweet from raptors pr that says you know, Gary Trent Jr. is in the starting lineup and Scotty's listed at point guard, I would be pretty surprised without any injuries or anything like that. Um, Dennis, for as much as, you know, people obviously have qualms about his usage and stuff like that, he continues to be a major feature of the the offense and of the team. Uh, Stevie says... People are going to use that PG plus coach bromance as a knock against them soon. Equate them to FVV plus nurse. I think I've seen that already, probably. Yeah, Uh, it's tough. They have a pre-existing history. They like each other. And uh, but I think it's just like the Raptors, they need to be able to shoot better. They need a little bit more live ball or live dribble creation. And uh, it's tough, man. It's uh, it's not a team with a bunch of spacing. And we just don't see teams with bad spacing succeed uh, on offense in the NBA, really. Um, Blake and I talked about this on the Raptors show that I did, what, like a month and a half ago at this point. And there's basically no teams that hit, like, winning seasons or get close to 500 basketball when they shoot, like, less than 35% from three. It just doesn't happen. The
1: Raptors last year were the worst three-point shooting team for a 500
0: team. So there you go. So the Raptors last year were the worst three point shooting team of any 500 team in the modern era of basketball. So you have to succeed in spite of your lack of shooting. And the Raptors do succeed at things, certainly, but not at enough of them. Not right now. They can improve at some things. Um, I'll talk about that and write about that more as the season kind of rolls along and we get more film to kind of go through and dissect and as we get more data to kind of look at some of these things will stabilize but the raptors struggles i think were mostly expected um, in this game and over the course of the season and their successes i think uh, just as much Um, maybe the the biggest surprise for the people who didn't know coming into this game the raptors struggled in transition against the Cavs. the nets are another really strong defensive team in transition the raptors struggled there. So they were left to their own devices in the half court. They couldn't skirt their limitations. Uh, yeah, John Lamb asks, it could be we as fans microanalyze too much on the point guard. It, it could be. Lewis wrote this really interesting piece last year during a lot of the the Fred Van Vliet uh, turmoil and drama within the fan base. And obviously Fred heard enough of that to, even in his goodbye, he said he was the most hated. He, he heard it, it was loud. Um, but Lewis basically compared Fred's usage touches, passes, time on ball, everything to point guards around the NBA. And there was nothing that differentiated Fred. Basically, the only thing that differentiated Fred from a lot of point guards is that Fred shoots a lower percentage and that's it. But as far as like selfishness and all that kind of stuff, um, uh, I don't know. That's, that stuff is tough to make a case for. Um, it's, you have to make some assumptions about players personality wise that maybe aren't maybe aren't fair, but yeah, Fred, it's tough to make the case that he's selfish it's tough to make the case that Dennis is selfish. It's certainly easy to make the case that they don't always make the right decision on ball, but uh that can just be like not the best play rather than uh with great malice of forethought I would say um it's important i think in, in especially in this day and age uh not to. There's a rule about attributing to malice what can just be attributed to, like, maybe it's stupidity, but Hanlon's razor, Hanlon, Hanlon's razor Blake says uh, it's there's a lot of stuff that goes wrong on the basketball court and players are will always make mistakes. Um, if you want to cut lowlights of players, you can do it of every player, every game. There's so much on the court to pay attention to and so much to succeed at and fail at. Um, that's kind of the way it goes. I think that Fred was mostly mostly what happened with Fred was that he didn't shoot, catch and shoot threes as much as people wanted him to make them that affected the perception of him as a player. And he kept shooting uh, even when he wasn't shooting that well. And I think some of that is a consequence of the offense. Like you see Scotty and Pascal tonight had to keep shooting because. They needed to try and score because the offense is in a destitute place, and I think a lot of that happened with Fred last year. Um, but I know a lot of people really dislike Fred. Uh, now, disliking players for that kind of stuff is not something I do, but I'm uh, I cover the team, I talk to these guys, so that's uh, that's uh, that's kind of how this works. So, anyway, yeah, talking about Fred uh, SDPN, which I assume is S, says talking about FEV as a raptor in 2023. Him and the Rockets are in a heated battle for an in-season tournament spot right now. I'm watching the game, actually. I won't turn the camera to show it because I wonder if that might vi- violate some sort of monetization policy or something like that. But he's on the screen. He just missed a pull-up three, for those who are excited at, the, at how that sounds. He just missed one. Um, anyway, I feel like I've been talking uh, for quite some time, almost 54 minutes. I feel like my voice is getting worn out. Uh, thanks to Blake for hopping on. Anything you want to say before we get out of here?
1: Not after that one.
0: Not after that one. Okay. uh, Thanks to everybody. If uh, you want to like the video, it helps suggest it to other people after the stream is over. That's good. Um, If you want to subscribe to the YouTube channel, then you can be in tune for all of my work going forward and all of anybody's who is at RR. And uh, subscribe to raptorsrepublic.com. That's how you get the written work. Um, Lots of big stuff coming. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. You guys are engaging, insightful, and uh, it's always good to see what you write and respond to it and makes these conversations or after whatever this is live streaming, uh, much easier. It's much, much easier to talk about the game. So thanks to everybody and to all the people listening on their walk or just late, late at night. Thanks for tuning in on the podcast apps, which, uh, yeah, thanks for not, uh, complaining about the change to the live stream because I know I go longer now and maybe there's a bit of the podcasts that are directed towards a live audience that doesn't mesh as well to the, podcast apps, which is actually where more of the listenership is. Uh, So thank you to everybody for sticking with it. I hope that's still a a decent product. Anyway, here's hoping. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, everybody, whether you got into this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye. All right. You got a podcast.